do not love the world or the things in the world. The world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it. Well, it is good to be uh, back in First John. Several of you have talked about how much you're enjoying this. You can imagine if, if we're working on it for 10, 15 or so hours a week getting the sermon ready, we're really enjoying it too. There's just so much in this letter that John writes to these people who are very precious to him. And uh, so it's a really, really useful thing. And and uh, so stay in touch. Keep up all summer. It's going to be going to be a good summer. Uh, I mentioned that uh, Pastor Marcus is away on a little bit of vacation time today. So a couple of things I want you to think about. Well, just one, I guess. Uh, and that is this. You're going to begin to notice Pastor Marcus preaching more often here. So uh, this isn't like some big announcement because it's kind of been the rule from day one that the intention is eventually down the road uh, for me to hand off the leadership of this campus and the main preaching responsibilities to Pastor Marcus. So that process is starting now, and it's not going to happen for a little while. So for those of you who are those few of you maybe who are like, oh man, that's a bummer, but uh, it's okay. Uh, but this is what I do at Coastal. It's my job at Coastal to take young men, to mentor them, to leave and let them lead. So we did that in Gloucester, God is blessing, and uh, that's going to happen here. It's going to be a while yet, but I just want you to know if I'm here a little less often because Pastor Andrew has decided that come this uh, later this summer and this fall, I will actually be the lead pastor of both Hampton and our Battery Park campus. So I have yet to figure out how you do that, and uh, no one has really explained it to me, so I'm just going to make it up as I go. Uh, but some of it will require me being there to preach, at least occasionally, and so I'm going to do that. And thankfully, uh, Pastor Marcus, man, the, the brother can preach, right? So you're not going to be missing out. And uh, so I'm really glad for that, super excited, glad that you will be able to be here to affirm uh, their ministry. And some of that this summer will just be vacation time, so uh, we'll miss you, but we'll be having fun with our kids and grandkids and family members so uh, we are in first john and some of these passages of scripture could be construed as very simple in fact most of them are I, i'm sure it doesn't matter to you what people who are new to the greek language when guys are in seminary studying greek one of the first books of the bible they start to translate is first john because it's very simple grammatically it's easy and all those kind of things but there is so much in here, and it's so powerful. And so I want to I want to talk about one this morning that uh, is really pretty straightforward. It is the new commandment, right? The old commandment that's new, and you you will recognize that as the command to love one another. And uh, 
John talks about that with his readers here, with these dear, precious ones to him. So I thought I would talk a little bit about what kids view as love. And sometimes when we do this stuff with kids, we pick the funniest ones. You know, love is when you go out and just stare at each other over dinner for an hour and a half, and it's really fun, and, or whatever. And so I found three that I really, really like that I, I think are pretty, uh, pretty insightful coming from kids especially. So here we go. When someone loves you, the way they say your name is different. You just know your name is safe in their mouth. I love that. That's a really good thing, right? When, when someone loves you, your name is safe in their mouth. Secondly, love is what's in the room at Christmas if you stop opening presents and listen. That's pretty good. Thirdly, this is a very practical step, and I think it's a, mm, really good. If you want to learn how to love better, you should start with someone you hate. <laughs> They're not wrong, correct? It's not always about the, the, uh, the butterflies and all that stuff. So, man, kids can be really insightful. First John, and we're getting underway with chapter 2 now, or part continuing on here with chapter 2. Uh, this is a really significant thing. John is going to talk about the importance of loving each other. And we're going to parse that out a little bit because it's easy to say, oh, we just, we just want to love each other, right? So we're, we're going to be a little more uh, specific than that. So let me read for you, though, just the first couple of verses, and we're going to go down through a bit at a time. It, this is talking about how this commandment is fresh for us. And I'm using the term fresh as opposed to new, but you'll see why. Beloved, I am writing to you no new commandment. But an old commandment that you had from the beginning, the old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him, of course, in Jesus, and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. This commandment is fresh. It's old in that it we didn't just now hear it. In fact, you know that, well, first of all, let's be clear. This is about the command to love. When John writes in his second letter, 2 John, in the fifth verse, and someone questioned me on this this week. So 2 John and 3 John are a letter that doesn't have chapters. So when you see 2 John 5, it's not because there are five chapters and we're going to read the whole thing. It's just, it's the fifth verse because there's only one chapter. And it says this, now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we've had from the beginning, that we love one another. That's what Jesus said. John 13, he said, I'm, I'm giving you a new commandment, new only in, this, in, a, in a different sense, but it's old because it's been around for a long time. When you go through the Old, uh, the Old Testament and you come to the Ten Commandments, the first bunch, the first half or so, first four or so, are all about what? Honoring and respecting God, worshiping Him well, taking a day to honor and, and uh, reverence Him and to love God. And the last six are about how to treat people. Don't, don't commit adultery, don't kill them, don't steal from them, right? Kind of basic things of human relationships. How do we treat other people? So in that sense of the word, it's old. 
And that's why when, when one of the scribes came to Jesus and said, so what is the most important? What is the, the uh, most important commandment? This is how Jesus answered him. This is not on the screen, but let me read it for you. Jesus answered, the most important is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and with all your strength. The second, he said, is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Now, he wanted to know what's the most important commandment. What Jesus gave him was a summary of the law. You love God with every fiber of your being, and you love your neighbor just like you'd love yourself. That summarizes the law. So this command is fresh. It is as old as the Old Testament. It's as old as history. You are to love each other. But it's also new, right? This is what I was referring to before in John chapter 13. Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. By this, all people will know you're my disciples if you have love for one another. Those are two verses. We, if you haven't memorized them, you ought to consider that. You are to love as Jesus loved, and this is how the world knows that we are disciples of Jesus is if we love each other. So he's going to parse this out a little bit, right? So how is this a new commandment? We know it's old. It's been around for a long time. But in what way is it new? And what makes it fresh? Jesus makes it different in that he uses himself as the example. As I have loved you, so you are to love other people. How did Jesus love us? What was true about Jesus. Look at these verses from John chapter 10. Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. That's we're that other sheep group right we're part of that for this reason the father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again no one takes it from me but I lay it down of my own accord I have authority to lay it down I have authority to take up take it up again this charge I've received from my father the concept of sacrifice is integral to how Jesus loved us consequently if I'm going to love like Jesus sacrifice ought to be part of how I treat those who are my brothers and sisters in Christ. See, when we start thinking about love in biblical terms, it gets very uh, hard to navigate. So, sorry, this is one of those sermons where the preacher's been under surgery, you know, for the last couple of weeks thinking about this sermon, so you get to be under surgery as well, because this is not easy stuff love is nice when it feels good love is nice when it includes hugs and giggles and laughter and getting things from each other and all of the positive things and you get a phone call but love when it requires that I sacrifice 
that's not quite so easy because it kind of goes against our grain, right? Forgiveness, forgiving each other. Jesus on the cross said to the Father regarding the people who had hung him there, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Forgiveness is no easy task. But if I'm going to love, according to this new commandment, I'm going to have to love like Jesus loved. Commitment. Commitment to be there permanently. What did Jesus say when he told his disciples, go to all the world, preach the gospel, right? I want you to teach them everything I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you to the end of the age. It's nice to have someone who you know will never leave you, right? Be that kind of person. If we're going to love like Jesus, we need to be like that. Why is it new? So that's how it's new. It's new because it's to be modeled after Jesus, but why is it new? It's new because the true light has come, because Jesus has come. It's, the light is now shining, and the darkness is being pushed away. It's being vanquished. It is being pushed out. That's why, that's the, the manner in which we can know it's new. It's new because the true light's now shining. So we now can love and we will increasingly learn to love. We have that constant now and not yet, right? We, we want to love, we commit to love, and then we grow in our love because we're not always like Jesus in our love. Sometimes we don't want to sacrifice. We want somebody else to sacrifice for us. Light always vanquishes darkness, and the conquest of darkness has become, has, has come already because the Son of God has come and has taken up residence in your life. You are being transformed into his likeness. It's an ongoing process. We will learn to love like Jesus. So it is really significant to remember the commandment is fresh, but then he, he gets even a little more pointed, if we cannot even imagine that, and makes a very clear distinction. The distinction is, is abundantly clear. Verse 9, whoever says he's in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and doesn't know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. He who loves his brother, I'm going to start with that one. All of us who are born from above, who are children of God by faith in Jesus, will begin to increasingly reflect the character of God. It simply will happen. Be imitators of God as dearly loved children and live in love. So again, how do we do that? How do I know I'm loving someone? These verses that Paul wrote, again, are really potent and powerful. Because, you see, he says love is patient and kind. So, I'm pretty sure I already messed up this morning. 
Anybody else feel that way? Have you been patient and kind with those you claim to love all morning? Love does not envy or boast. Love does not want other people to give attention to them. Love is not arrogant. Love doesn't think it's all that. It's not rude. It does not insist on its own way. Really? It's not irritable or resentful. Ooh, I like the silence. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. So if I want to know whether I'm loving, I just got to look at the mirror. And I have to confess I'm struggling with some of those things. There's a phrase in there in 1 Corinthians 13 that could be translated, keeps no record of wrongs. Doesn't rejoice in wrongdoing. It keeps no record of wrongs. So in other words, when I, when I use this and I'm talking to married couples, I say, that means you're not allowed to say to the person you've committed to love, you know, you always say that or do that. I'm not allowed to keep record of that. How would it change our marriages? How would it change our workplace? How would it change our friendships if the only records we kept were of the things people did that we really appreciated? But we're not inclined to that naturally. Now, I want to make sure to be clear about something, and I, I saw this quote as I was preparing this message, and I think it's, I think it's fair. Love doesn't equal soft. Love is not tolerant of what's harmful or what dishonors God. So you'll, you'll be challenged in our culture to say, well, you're not being very loving because you're not being tolerant. Love does not seek out diversity just for the sake of diversity. It loves all people because they're made in the image of God. There's a biblical foundation for why we treat people equally. We do not confuse gender realities just so we can say we're inclusive. We do not affirm people who insist on living openly in sinful relationships to show how broad-minded we are. But we do love lost people. And we love God supremely, and so we honor his word. So love is part of the four commitments we have at Coastal. So I just went through this at We Are Coastal last week. It's fresh in my mind. So let me give you a quick review. We call it voila. This is, this is our core values at Coastal. It's not spelled with the J or however you really spell that French word. But it helps us remember, voila, watchfulness. We guard ourselves. We guard the gospel in ourselves and others. We want to be watchful about the gospel. We have uh, authenticity. We want to be real with people. We want to be honest with people. We want to be transparent with people, right? Love is the third one. And that is we want to always do the most loving thing. 
sometimes the loving thing for example if we can use our kids instead of each other because then it'll be easier on us sometimes the most loving thing is to tell your kid no you can't do that right when your children are little and they think oh that stove that's pretty cool let me reach up there you say no you cannot do that and there will be consequences if you do that that's the loving thing to do. The loving thing says, go play in the backyard, not in the street, right? Loving gives boundaries. Love isn't soft, but it always does the most loving thing. So watchfulness, authenticity, love. What's the, Anybody know the last one? Ah, I love it. I love it. I wish I had a candy bar. Accountability. Not that I would give it to him, but I would you know, wish I had a candy bar accountability we want to be in relationships with each other to help each other live according to the gospel and in righteousness and holiness it's really important love is part of the core of what coastal is so it's important we understand we treat each other with love but what about the person who hates his brother according to this description he who hates his brother is living in darkness which being translated means you are not saved if you hate your brother. Now listen, this is really this is really harsh. And he doesn't tell us how hatred finds its expression. But here's the point John is making. How I treat my brother will show whether I'm walking in the light or in the darkness. It has to do with my heart posture, right? Here are a couple of things Jesus said when he was talking in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, you've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. Whoever murders will be liable to judgment. So here's the problem with, our, with us and with modern day culture. We say, well, I haven't murdered anybody, so I'm good. But I say to you, Jesus said, everyone who's angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. Whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. Ow. So if you're offering your gift at the altar, we just sang about it, and there you remember your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, then come offer your gift. Right relationships, learning to live in forgiveness, loving each other enough to make that right is more important than corporate worship. Oh boy. And we believe corporate worship's really important, right? But if you come here and you know someone has something against you, what about if the two of you are here together? Listen, that's perfect. We got lots of space. You can borrow my office, go make it right, then come back to the service. It'll be awesome. You've heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery. Most of us would say, oh, I'm good. I've never done that. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Listen, this is heart posture stuff. Hating my brother is heart posture. And it's always twofold. It hurts my neighbor and it hurts me. What does it say? It, it blurs my vision. It makes me confused. It gives me a, a sense of disorientation hating my brother now here's the the other thing we do right we over define it we love to define love 
because that's awesome because we all want to be loving but when it comes to hatred what do we do well i don't really hate him i just don't want to be around him and don't want him in my life but i don't hate him right we 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 excessively define it but it isn't just we're not supposed to hate we're supposed to love so I want you to know though the victory is real I'm not just here to dump on you and I don't think John is either because he now gives in these last verses what appears to be like a poem some encouragement this is why I'm writing to you because the victory is real because in Christ I can live this way in Christ I can love my brothers and sisters in Christ I can love lost people and care about them in Christ I can be this way it's encouragement in case they think they're not measuring up in fact I would say it's encouragement because they feel like they're not measuring up because I don't feel like I'm measuring up to all of this stuff sometimes it feels like a daily battle He reminds them that he's writing because of some things he knows. And so now I'm going to, I want to get a little technical for just a second. There are different tenses, like we have past, present, and future, basically, in English. In, in the languages that the Bible was written in, they have more tenses than that. These first three that I'm going to talk about are written in a tense that says, this is something that happened in the past, and the results of it continue to right now at the moment of writing and will just continue for the foreseeable future so I'm not going to go through this in terms of uh, the poetic part of it so let me read it for you then I'm going to go back and draw four principles from it I'm writing to you fathers or rather little children because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake I'm writing to you fathers because you know him who's from the beginning I'm writing to you young men because you've overcome the evil one I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Can I, rather than figure out, is this talking about different levels of spiritual maturity or, or whatever, or different generations, here are four things that I think John is saying, these things are true of you. And the first is this, your sins are forgiven. So if you are in Christ, this is something that's true of you. I'm writing to you because your sins are forgiven. That's an incredible thing. Sometimes it's good to just stop for a second and think about the power of a phrase, right? If you are in Christ, your sins are forgiven. I know there is a, a sense in which I'm still growing and so I'm still battling with sin, but the penalty of sin is gone. It's removed. If I die today as a follower of Jesus Christ, I go straight into the presence of the Lord. That's amazing, right? Am I right? Their sins are forgiven for 
his name's sake, for the sake of the name of Jesus. That's the gospel there, right? That is, my sins are forgiven, not because God got really magnanimous and said, you know what, close enough. I'll let him in. God doesn't grade on a curve, right? God doesn't take the majority of humanity and say, okay, most of them are right about here. We'll call that average. That'll be good enough. God grades on an absolute standard of righteousness and holiness, right? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The standard is God's glory. So if I'm short of that, at all, I fall short. We're going to talk uh, in a couple of weeks about what, what is sin like. Sin is lawlessness. It's breaking the law of God. So if I broke it, I broke it. Like a chain, right? You break one link, you're just as sunk as if you took every link to, apart. You broke it. But in Christ, I have my sins forgiven. What an incredible thing that God who has every reason, every right, because he's perfectly holy to banish me from his presence forever, sent his son Jesus to live the life that I could never live no matter how hard I try. I cannot live perfectly. I work at, at honoring God. I want to try and please him, but I do not have it in me to do it well enough, and neither do any of you. I know that's true, and I know you know it's true. But God sent Jesus. He lived perfectly, never broke God's law. And largely because of that, they crucified him, killed him, took his life. He died on the cross, and in doing so, paid the penalty for sin. The only penalty that is appropriate to sin is death, separation from God. And all of us have sinned and fall short of God's glory, right? The wages for that, the payment for that, is death. Jesus took that. They put him in a tomb. He was dead. They put him in there, and on the third day, he actually came back out again. People saw him. They talked to him. They touched him. We talked about that earlier in 1 John, right? Our hands have handled him. We've touched him. We know he's real. He actually came back to life again. So what's left? I repent of my sin. I believe in the gospel that Jesus, God's God in the flesh, came, died, paid for sin, was buried, and literally came back to life again. I believe that, and I receive Christ. To as many as received him, to them he gave authority, power, to become children of God. When that happens, my sins are forgiven. I'm in this group, the first group he mentions. Your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. So listen, if you're here, if you're watching us online, listen, I'm telling you, we've got a boatload of people. Probably as many people are checking us in, checking in online with us as are sitting in the auditorium. That happens all the time. If you're online, you're watching us, or you're watching this a little bit later, or you're sitting here and you don't know for sure that if you were to die today, you'd go to heaven. You're just not sure things are right between you and God. I just told you how to fix that. I'll swing back around to it again in a minute. But you turn from your sin, you repent of it, you believe in the gospel, and you receive Jesus. We would love to talk to you about that.
your sins have been forgiven and the results of that continued till now. They have confidence. Number two, they know that they have fellowship with both the Father and the Son. There's three times in here, right? I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him. I write to you, fathers, verse 14, because you know him who is from the beginning, right? There's, there's this uh, personal sense of relational knowledge and understanding. They know him, and so they have confidence. You know him. Thirdly, through Christ, they have overcome the devil. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. The end of verse 14. I write to you, young men, because you're strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. Again, past tense, results continue. Jesus said, John 16, 33, I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Past tense, the results remain. It's done. You have overcome. If you are in Christ, you have overcome. And lastly, they are strong in the word of God. They're in the Word. They are remaining in the Word. The Word of God abides in them. This one's present tense. This is still happening. You are still in the Word. It is abiding in you. And so you are being strong. I love those four truths. I love that we've got all of those things. We have forgiveness of sins we have confidence in our relationship with God we have overcome the devil and we can be strong through the word of God so let me give you a couple thoughts as I do always to take with you one do you love the brothers all of them like Jesus who do you need to forgive what relationship do you need to make right who do you need to care for? Who do you need to reaffirm your commitment to? Secondly, the world knows we are Christ's disciples by our love. Just in case I haven't stepped on enough toes and I missed yours. They will not know we are Christ's disciples by our political stance. They will not know we're Christ's disciples even by our carefully defined and articulated doctrinal position. They will not know that we are Christ's disciples by our refusal to, to associate with those kind of people. They will know we are disciples of Jesus by our love. So if your friends around you in the world were asked, is he a loving kind of guy? Is, is she the kind of person who loves people? What would they say? There's something telling about that. That's how they know. And thirdly, are you walking in the light? That's the whole premise of this, right? He who says he loves 
but doesn't walk, is not walking in the light. If you're, if you're not doing what you say, if you're not loving, but rather acting in hatred toward those who are your brothers and sisters, then you maybe aren't really their brother or sister. Are you walking in the light? Do you need Jesus? Do you need to repent of your sin, believe in the gospel, and receive Christ? Listen, as always, there will be people up here at the front under these TVs at the end of the uh, service as, as the uh, last song is being sung, and we'd be very happy to have, have you come and talk to them. It's, it doesn't need to be an embarrassing thing. It happens every once in a while. Somebody will come up, and they just need prayer. It doesn't have to be about your relationship to Christ, but they are fully prepared to go through that and explain it so you can leave here knowing your sins are forgiven and you're on your way to heaven and rightly related to God. But whatever it may be, maybe something in this message stepped on your toes a little more than you expected when you got here, and you've got something you want to just pray through with them. They will be happy to do that. Most of them are members of our prayer team. If you want them to pray with you about something in particular, let them know that. They will be delighted to do that. But for all of us, man, let's take the challenge. Let's take the penetrating challenge to love one another and take it with us this week. How are we going to love those who are around us, right? Team's going to come back. I'm going to pray, and uh, then we're going to close with our benediction, but uh, let's talk to God about it first. Lord, thank you for what really is a very, a very simple passage of Scripture. It's really not difficult to understand, but, oh, God, we acknowledge that it's really, really hard to put into practice. So thank you for the opportunity to be reminded that uh, through Christ we have the victory. It is real. It's not something we have to attain on our own. We can do this through the power of Christ and through the power of the Holy Spirit who lives within us. So, Father, help us to recommit ourselves today, to resubmit ourselves to uh, the reality of the victory you've given us in Jesus. Lord, I pray for the one that might be here or more or listening to us online that uh, does not know Jesus, has never come to a point where they've made their relationship with you genuine. I pray that they would do it today. Thanks for loving us so much and being uh, so kindly disposed toward us because of Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.